Well, thank you, dear friends, for the invitation. Thank you, Pastor Taha, for inviting me year on year and uh, for that opportunity to come among you. I, I really do feel this, this is a home from home. Uh, I come back year on year, and as I'm reminded, I, I didn't realize it was actually eight years, uh, but I could believe that. Um, but the interaction that I have, you even, have with you even through the year you know, just m makes uh, that very precious, uh, the affinity that, that I have with you. Thank you for your support for, for what we do. Um, but the back and forth and, and, the, and the, uh, the very uh, uh, pointed reminders that Carla sends me whenever I need to send my prayer information to you, um, that, that's, that's great because you're praying for us month on month. So it's not just a one, a one and done. It's not just a one-time visit um, that, oh, yes, that was nice. I pray for him that Sunday, and then, and then you, uh, you leave it. You, you are with us in this ministry. We are with you in this ministry. We're in this together. Uh, even, I, I'll stress a little bit more, or, or, or press the point a little bit more, pertaining to our understanding of how mission works um, within, uh, again, a, a Reformed and Presbyterian approach to missions. Is, is mission just something that you pay for? No. We, we are in this uh, integrally, together, organically together. And I really do appreciate not only that you support us, but that you are asking after us, um, not only month-by-month -month prayer points, but even Facebook friends. I'm Facebook friends with, with many of you, uh, and you're uh, in, even in our own family life and praying for us as a family. So for all those reasons, this, uh, this is a home, for home from home. And I, I really appreciate that. Uh, just a word or two about things that I have on the table, and then we will uh, get into the Word, because I know we're on a, a tight schedule uh, these Sunday mornings. Um, we were on the streets of Pittsburgh. Uh, for those who don't know me, I think most of you do, but for those who don't know me or the work of Christian Witness to Israel, we are a ministry that goes back to 1842 in the UK in London. And indeed, the, the, the booklet that was given uh, to you, Our Duty to Israel, from Robert Murray McShane, the famous Scottish Presbyterian, he prayed the opening prayer at the first ever meeting of this ministry back in November of, of 1842, uh, and also in, in the sermon I'm going to refer to, Our Duty to Israel, and so I thought the booklet would be a helpful one on that, although many of you maybe have got it from previous visits. Uh, but we are a ministry that does two things. We reach the Jewish people frontline. We are engaged in frontline evangelism with missionaries. But also, and again, this is where missiology and ecclesiology really enters the, the, the question. Um, we are not uh, simply something that, that we do and you pay for it. We want to engage the church in its own mission to the Jewish people. And particularly here in the U.S., where 42% of the world's Jewish population live, Six million Jewish people are on our shores. They're our neighbors in this land. And one, five, ten missionaries are never going to be enough to do that work. Um, this AC course is something that I've developed in recent years of 20 sermons, lectures on how to reach our Jewish neighbor, both in terms of scriptural mandate, historical uh, context, and, and present-day connections. Uh, I commend that to you, but the one thing that I, I love is, is a quotation that I have right on the front cover where it says, however many full-time Christian workers we are able to recruit, there will never be enough missionaries to reach every Jewish person. The local church 
is God's main agent of evangelism. And so we want to not only engage with our frontline missionaries, but to help the church be the church um, in Jewish America to reach our Jewish neighbors, as I believe and will preach on uh, our mandate. So we were on the streets of Pittsburgh. I'm going to tell a little bit more about that um, in the lunchtime hour. So I, I will have a PowerPoint presentation, uh, 25, 30 minutes, I think, max. We're going to run that and try and keep things moving along. But uh, there is a visual to that that you can at least see what we're doing, where we're doing it. Um, and uh, so I commend to you not only the lunch, but also the, uh, the uh, 30-minute update that I'll be giving there by PowerPoint. Um, but we were on the streets of Pittsburgh just uh, two Sundays ago through the week, um, and we were engaging with, we had about a dozen volunteers from local churches uh, engaging frontline, and these were some of the tracts that we used out in the streets as well. So they're on the table you can uh, take them and, and browse them and even use them if you have Jewish friends. One is on Isaiah 53, and the other one is on uh, the, when Messiah arrives, how will we know him? Uh, so they're, again, uh, available to you as you engage in your own Christian witness to Israel. So without further ado, let's turn to God's Word. Um, I've, I've been given special uh, dispensation to uh, be excused from the Psalm series, I think the past few years I've actually preached on psalms, and uh, Alan said to me, no, you, you, you always come with a psalm, and it's great, and uh, if you want to do another psalm, here's the ones that have already been taken, and, and well, so I was thinking of it, but uh, I'll go back to the, uh, the major texts for Jewish evangelism, which is Romans 9 through 11, uh, and I want us to take into 11, uh, and I've often referred to them as I've been with you. I'm not sure that I've actually really uh, opened up some of the specifics that we have in Romans 11. So that's what I want to do uh, today. So please read with me uh, these uh, several sections of Romans 11. First of all, 11 through 15. Romans 11, verse 11. Let us hear the Word of God. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And then moving down to verse 23 through 27, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut out or cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. 
until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sin. And then finally, verses 30 and 31. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. Amen. May God bless and instruct us from His holy and infallible Word. I want to begin by asking, I could ask all of you, but I probably should just ask the men folk. Are you a procrastinator? Do you, do you put off things? Are there jobs in your home that need done and haven't been? And I'm not trying to start any family squabbles here, I know. Um, but self-confession I am not a handyman. Last night we had a little visiting time and we had some questions and we just around the table. Um, and uh, the question that I was given was, uh, are, you, you know, are you a shopper and what do you shop for? And, and, and I said, no, no, I'm not. And the comment was, well, you know, you'll go to Home Depot. Well, no, I'm not a Home Depot man. Sorry. So I'm not a handyman. I have gifts in other areas. But so about Nine years ago, uh, shortly after we moved here, we moved here 10 years ago, July, um, July 1st, so 10-year anniversary, uh, but about nine years ago, I managed to make a hole in my garage wall, and so there's a large hole in my garage wall, the internal, the, uh, just the plasterboard, um, and it's, uh, it's been sitting there and, and kind of covered up with a couple of boxes, and it's, uh, it's never got fixed. And, and, and then at, at the end of my yard, there's one of the pillars, lost a couple of bricks off the pillars, and it's, it's at the end of my yard. And um, there are a few little electrical jobs that my wife would not let me anywhere near. Uh, but like any household, there are jobs that need to be done. And for me, I've got three excuses. Um, no sight, it's behind a couple of boxes. No sense, it's away down the end of the yard. And no skills. So those three excuses are what I want to focus on today, on something else. I want to talk about a job that's given to the church that is a task unfinished, as the title uh, says. And I want to consider why, and I, I think the reason why are the same three excuses. No sight, no sense, and no skills. Jewish mission is an unfinished task, and indeed, I, I love the fact that you have included, at my, at my request, the, the concluding hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished, a tremendous missionary hymn, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But as I read through Romans 11, I, I, I believe that the three passages we're looking at um, identify the problems that we've been having in not having 
the sight or the sense or the skills. And so in addressing these three separate passages, I want uh, by extension, by application, and to address our problem so that to stir us to the unfinished work. So first of all, we're going to look at it from reverse order because I'm Irish, okay. So I'm going to take it back to front. Um, Northern Irish, of course, that's a whole different deal. I've taught you well. Um, verses 30 and 31, our debt and our duty. And so again, that's why I, I, I wanted passed out the, um, the, the brochure, the, the, the booklet, the Robert Murray McShane, Our Duty to Israel. And I want to focus, as it is focused here in 30 and 31, on how we are to bring back that message to the Jewish people because they gave it to us. So in 30 and 31, we read, you were at one time disobedient to God. Our ancestry, Gentiles, is total pagan darkness, except for the light of nature. Our ancestry is that we were dancing around stone and worshiping idols and engaged in cannibalism and all kinds of pagan things that the Jewish people were told, don't be like the goyim, the Gentiles. And so, we have received mercy. That, that's amazing that, that to the Gentiles, mercy has been shown. But it's been shown to you, verse 31, that they also may receive mercy. We read a little, thank you, Thaxter, for reading earlier from Romans 9. And uh, again, this is really the beginning of Paul's argument uh, pertaining to what's gone wrong. Nothing's gone wrong in God's plan uh, pertaining to the Jewish people. But we know that Romans is the, the, the wonderful drama of redemption is there in Romans, the, the gospel, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Romans 2 says that judgment is coming to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And indeed, in that little booklet you've got, McShane makes the point that because judgment is coming to the Jew first, therefore we should run to the Jew first with the gospel. Just, and he uses the illustration, as a doctor would run to the most needy patient. McShane says, so the church should be running to the Jewish neighbor because of their danger. So judgment to the Jew first. And then Romans 3, we know, is, is all about all have sinned and fallen short. Romans 4 speaks of the justification that has come through Abraham and the promises. Romans 5, justification by faith. We have peace with God. Problem. Romans 6, we still have sin. Romans 7, oh, wretched man, what, what am I going to do? Romans 8, no condemnation in Christ. No separation those who are in Christ Jesus, and then Romans 9, but, but, I have great anguish in my heart. No separation. My people are separate, Lord. My Jewish friends are separate. And the Lord then opens the vista of what He's going to do. Romans 10, how shall they hear except someone preaches to them? We need to tell Jewish people the gospel. And so we are here in Romans 11 and seeing Gentiles what our debt is and what our duty is. We need to get the skills. 
What are those skills? Well, this is not something that you, well, I'm not really cut out for evangelism. I'm not really cut out for, for Jewish evangelism. The skills that we're identifying in 30 and 31 is simply living out the mercy that's been shown to you that by the mercy shown to you that they may receive mercy, that they may see something in the Christian church and say, you guys have got something that we missed. And by God's work in their heart, they will realize that the Gentiles have received mercy. We were once afar off, Ephesians chapter 2. We have been granted mercy. Again, try and get it into our mindset. The first missionaries, the first Jewish guys to believe in Jesus would have been stunned at this. They might have not felt very skilled. They might have not had much sense or sight of the world in its lostness. But Jesus says to those first century Jewish missionaries, go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even unto the ends of the earth. And again, as uh, Paul the apostle comes to understand this, it, it, it's explosive to his mind that the duty given to him and his band of brothers is to bring this gospel to a goyim, unclean, pagan world, that they may receive the mercy of the God of Israel so that then we might bring it back. So, Gentile church, we have a duty. By the mercy shown to you, I have a duty to do my little household jobs. Most times, I outsource. For that, those electrical jobs, Wendy will make sure that I outsource those jobs because I have no skills in doing those electrical jobs. But I make the point that we do not outsource mission. We are all in this together. Mission is a church-based operation. I don't know if you get the Table Talk magazine. I'm sure many of you do. I loved an article that I found in April's issue uh, just this year in April. It was on reformed, reformed world missions in practice. And he says this, as Reformed believers, we are or ought to be convinced that the Reformed faith is the biblical faith, that a true church is a Reformed church, that Reformed practice is true Christian practice. If we're not convinced first and foremost that to be Reformed is to be biblical, we will never consistently apply Reformed principles to anything, least of all the way we labor to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, that is not to say that those churches that are not in our camp are not churches. Please don't misunderstand me. It's simply saying that this is the best way. This is the biblical way. And so he says, what are the most important Reformed convictions? Uh, the way Reformed believers and churches are to engage in world missions. He says, Reformed missions is from the church, by the church, and to the church. Again, these are, these are theological principles that, that I live by, that I love. So I am not outsourcing, or you, the church, are not outsourcing mission to me and my, my colleagues. We are in this together. We are engaging. We may be your arm in Pittsburgh or South Florida, or I might go to a little Baptist church in North Kansas with 12 people in it, 
um, and there's not a Jewish person in sight in their town. It's 99% Catholic. But I will go there, and they get behind us, and they pray for us, and, and we are their arm of mission wherever we might engage. So that is fine. And then by that connectivity, we are accountable, and so I come back year on year, not simply just to, to say, well, here I am, thank you for the money. It's to stir the heart of the churches, to mobilize the troops nationwide to the mission given to the church by the mercy that's been shown to us Gentiles, that they, the six million in this country, may receive mercy. So we are to show that mercy. We're to proclaim that mercy. And we're to know it in our lives. And sometimes we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and be thrilled and engaged by the wonders. We, we sang of it. The wonders of grace given to us. There's a little gem of a book called A Gospel Primer for Christians. It's, it's preaching the gospel to yourselves. Milton Vincent, A Gospel Primer for Christians. He says this, What I actually deserve is a full cup churning with the torments of His wrath. That's what I deserve. But to be handed a completely empty cup from God would be cause for infinite gratitude. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing in that otherwise empty cup, I'd be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God toward me. That God has given me a cup that is full of every spiritual blessing in Christ leaves me dumbfounded with inexpressible joy. Now, friend, is, is that your experience of, of mercy? You, you haven't just got the, the cup that's empty. You haven't got the cup that's full of wrath. But you've got the cup that is, is full of, of mercy and, and inexpressible spiritual blessings in Christ. This is what we need to show. We need to spread that abroad to the lost world, Jew and Gentile. But also, again, part of our ministry is to challenge and equip the Christian church. And that's why, if I can find the little brochure I had, but the Awakening the Conscience course is something that I've sought to bring forward. On the 100th anniversary of this ministry in 1942, the general secretary wrote that the founders believed there were two important tasks. The first was to present Christ to the Jewish people. That's what we do, frontline evangelism. The second was to awaken the conscience of the Christian church. And that's what we're also doing, awakening the conscience of the Christian church by setting forth a biblical burden, setting forth a historical context, and setting forth present-day contextual wisdom of how to reach our Jewish neighbor in 21st century America. If you lack the skills, we're here to help. If you lack the skills, read your Bible and show forth Christ, the very fragrance of Christ. But we're here to help also. If you've got a Jewish doctor or a Jewish dentist or a Jewish neighbor or a Jewish high school, high school friend of over 40 years or whatever, and you need a little help, email me, phone me, call me, I'll set up a visit, I'll come, I'll be with you. This is what we do together as we engage 
in mission to the Jewish people. So our debt and our duty. The second thing I want to draw attention to is God's power and God's plan. God's power and God's plan. And for that, we turn to Romans eleven twenty-three to 27. The Greek text commentator Alford, he entitles this section, a prophetic announcement that this engrafting shall take place and the explanatory justification of the divine arrangement. Uh, that's a mouthful. Let me repeat it, and then I'll put it in my own words. This, these verses, 23 to 27, are a prophetic announcement that this engrafting of the ancient people back, this engrafting shall take place, and explanatory justification of the divine arrangement. And I've simplified all of that to God's power and God's plan. He is able, and He will do it. When, how, oh, that's another thing. It's, it's a mystery. Paul writes, it's a mystery. It's funny how so many people know what this mystery is, and they write books, and they sell DVDs, and they've got the whole thing laid out, and they have the time plan, and they'll sell it because we're all good at buying stuff. It's a mystery. Let's, let's leave the mystery where the mystery is. But it's not unreasonable. There is a partial hardening, verse, 5, uh, verse 25. And partial means not complete. And that partial hardening shall end. There will be a removing of the veil. There will be a softening of their hearts. There will be a grafting in again. It is a supernatural work of God. We preach. We preach to the bones. God gives that increase. God is able. In fact, Robert Murray McShane's Bible, which I handle, I think I've shared this with you before, back uh, when I was ministering in Scotland, a gentleman came within the congregation, and he had Robert Murray McShane's Bible, in, dated 1843. And uh, I, I've, I've never washed my hands since. No, I, I can't, can't say that in the COVID years. Uh, but um, I was flicking over, and I was able to see that McShane had underscored, he is able to graft them in again. McShane believed in the power of God to do this. How slow we are to believe that God can save the Jewish people. How often in sermons, present, present pulpit accepted, but how often the Jewish people are presented, oh, that's, that's stubborn people, those stubborn, rebellious Jews beyond recovery, but the Gentiles are so wonderful because they received the gospel. And what have the Gentiles done with the gospel? Well, have you read any of church history? What a mess the Gentiles did with the gospel. We lost it for a thousand years, almost. Is God able to restore? Well, He restored with a revival called the Reformation. Is God able to restore the Jewish house? The master gardener is able to graft the natural branches in again. Our grafting in is deemed here a miracle of God's grace that we are unnatural, stuck-on branches. They are the natural branches. Calvin says, he shows, Paul, he shows how much more easy 
it would be to reverse the present state of things. And so our forefathers, the Westminster Divines, they prayed for this. Reformed theology has had Jewish evangelism and Jewish mission at the forefront of its ministry. Many churches prayed for Jewish mission every Lord's Day because it's here. It's mandated. Calvinism, grace-oriented, covenantal Calvinism gets this. God has promises. He will keep them. If God looks upon the Jewish people as people who have messed up, and I'm sorry you're done, well, I'm in grave danger. But God is faithful. He who began the good work in me will bring it to completion. So we need to get the sense of God's unfulfilled and unfinished business, His task unfinished, God's task, God's power, and God's plan. Now, there are a lot of different views, well, several legitimate different views as to how this all plays out, and I don't want to get into the detail. I'll leave that for local pastors. But I do want to say a word or two regarding the fullness of the Gentiles. And what I want us to really focus on is, is to think of the wonderment that the early apostle would have as this was brought to his attention, that there would be a, a partial hardening upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. So here is the apostle Paul. There's only a few thousand Jewish guys who believe in their Messiah Jesus, a few Jewish believers, first century, but he is being told you guys are going to experience a hardening, partial, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? Does it mean every last one? Well, just generally speaking, again, the wonderment, Charles Hodge considers it more probable that God should restore the Jews than that He should have called the Gentiles. And Calvin says, it was not to be as before when a few proselytes connected themselves with the Jews, but such was to be the change that the Gentiles would form almost the entire body of the church, that the church would have a fullness of Gentiles. That is stunning to this little apostle who's, who's wondering, how am I going to do this? Salvation come to the Gentiles would be jaw-dropping. But what about that fullness? Does it mean every last one? Paul also writes about us being filled with the fullness of God. Does that mean that, that we swallow up God into a kind of pagan pantheism? Of course not. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 of the church being the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. The, full, the church is the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it has the sense of the completion, or more accurately, the complement, the bride of Christ. So, fullness here in Romans 11 does not have the sense of every last one. It doesn't mean that all the Gentiles are all going to be saved, or even all Israel, every last one, is going to be saved. But it does mean, in Gentile terms, that every nation under heaven will be saved. And so to this apostle that's preaching in Jerusalem, it's going to be in Jerusalem. Then it's going to be also in Judea. It's going to be in Samaria. It's going to be in Italy, Rome. It's going to be in Spain. 
It's, it's going to go across, and, and, and a, a call from Macedonia is going to bring the gospel to Europe. But also, Paul, and you don't know this yet, but it's going to come to the Picts and the Vikings and the Mongols and the Asians and the Africans and the Aztecs and the Aborigines and the Indonesians and the Polynesians. The message of the gospel is going to go global, Paul. That's the fullness. And so when the, the Reformed church moved forward in the Reformation, you see the, 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 the movement for globalized missions. And I know you, this is close to your heart. There is a fullness of the world. G.B. Wilson, little commentary, a digest of Reformed uh, commentary, he says this, the gathering into the kingdom of the majority of elect Gentiles will mark the terminus of Israel's unbelief. So there was a sense in the Reformed world, in the Puritans and the Puritan hope, that when the gospel would become global, then there would be also a major turning of Israel. Now, throughout history, there always would be the droplets. Of the ones and twos, there have always been Jewish people coming to faith throughout the centuries. But there was a sense here as part of God's plan that there would be a major grafting in again. Hodge wisely says, great events are foretold, but the mode of their occurrence, their details, and their consequences can only be learned by the event. In other words, how is this going to play out? Well, we will know when we will know. Don't get stuck in the detail. Be thrilled with the immensity, as we're going to about to come on to, of it. Hodge says these great events are foretold, but the detail can only be learned by the event. And so, we should stop writing books having all the answers and instead be thrilled and stir and mobilize that great things are promised. Lacking the sight, or lacking the sense of it, rather. I'm looking at those bricks at the end of my yard. I need to get a sense of what it would be like. I really need to get those bricks on the wall and, 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 and complete it. We need to get a sense of what needs to be completed, the task unfinished. The church, I think, has suffered from some theological, spiritual Alzheimer's. I, I had an uncle that suffered from Alzheimer's. You know, it is an awful disease. My uncle, um, he's, he's passed away since, but my uncle at one point um, wandered off and he was picked up by, by the police like 20 minutes away from his home, seven or eight miles away from, uh, from his home uh, and brought home. The church has suffered from Alzheimer's. We don't know our roots. We don't know where we've come from. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. And we need to have a sense of God's power to turn this society that is a mass upside down. What was first century Roman culture like? Hmm. Pretty much like 21st century American culture in some ways. 
and yet they went forth with the gospel. Let's never, never fail to grasp a sense of what is done in Christ's name and what is done by His power. The hymn we're going to sing says, O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errand send us to labor for thy sake. That was the missionary fervor that sent forth people to globalize the gospel. And I want every church burdened with the old Scottish burden I want to see churches in the mission fields of of New York and South Florida and L.A. and Philadelphia and Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and Kansas City and, and wherever else. The Jewish community is here, alive and well. I have a map that I'll show you, and I've shown you before, but it's always good to see the visual of where the Jewish people are. Uh, come to lunch, and, and I'll show you uh, that map. Okay, we need to get on to our third point and finish up. We're going to assist in skills, our debt and our duty. We need to restore this sense, I hope, to some degree. I, I, I know you're with me in this. Restoring a sense, God's power, God's plan. And finally, the immensity of their inclusion as we just gain a sight, as we gain a sight and so, in verse 11, or rather verse um, 11 or 12, is it? I, I need to just look at it and, and get it right. Did they stumble that they might fall? By no means. If their trespass means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion? Verse 12. He's writing of a full inclusion. Again, does it mean every last one? No, it doesn't. But it, it, it's in the sense of an immense inclusion. So also verse 15, writing, life from the dead. Did they stumble to fall beyond recovery? Matthew Henry questions that. Because some preachers are saying, well, Israel's done, and it's the Gentiles not. No, 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 no. Partial, partial hardening. And Matthew Henry says, had God no other end in rejecting them than their destruction In other words, is God's plan just that the Jews are going to mess up and we're done? How did he deal with Adam when he messed up? Adam, you're getting cast out of the garden, but I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to promise you someone who will crush the serpent's head. How did he deal with fallen Adam? He promised a Savior. How does he deal with fallen Israel? He promises a Savior. He promises a saved remnant of the sons of Israel. And so Calvin says on verse 11, he says, Having before connected a sure ruin with blindness, he now gives hope of rising again. And he goes on in verse 15, Calvin says, Since then God has wonderfully drawn forth life from death and light from darkness. How much more ought we to hope, again, hope, ought we to hope that the resurrection of a people, as it were, wholly dead, will bring life to the Gentiles. And John Owen has a footnote to Calvin. He says, The restoration of the Jews unto God's favor 
will occasion the revival and spread of true religion throughout the whole Gentile world. You see, this was the Puritan hope, and this was the Jonathan Edwards hope at the time of the Great Awakenings, uh, that, that even the Jewish turning would, would be a, a, a catalyst for world revival, would be life from the dead. I think we've failed to grasp a sense of God's power and God's plan. I think we've failed to, to see the immensity of what this would look like. Millions of saved Jewish people, millions of saved Gentiles, life from the dead. Ezekiel 36, God has promised this will happen. Ezekiel 37, what are you to do? Preach to bones, pray for the wind. We're preaching to bones. We're on the streets of Pittsburgh. We're talking to Jewish people who are not interested. We're on the streets of London talking to people who are not interested. We give them a tract. Maybe they'll read it at home. We're preaching to bones. They're very dry, but nonetheless preach to bones. Pray for the wind. You pray for us month by month. Pray for the wind. And there will be in the divine power and plan an immense inclusion. What does that mean? What does life from the dead mean? Again, we don't necessarily need to get to the detail. There are two views on it very quickly and very simply. One is that, that Israel will experience a life from the dead. And the other view is that Israel's restoration will spark Gentile life from the dead. And it really doesn't matter. We praise God for either. We praise God for both. But please, God, give us a sight of the immensity of what this might be. See the opportunity here in Jewish America. See the opportunity in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. Again, I'll talk maybe a little bit more of that um, in, in, this, uh, in the lunchtime hour. But my colleague from Israel uh, is coming over to Arkansas in September. I'm really looking forward to it. But he's involved in, in publishing books. I've got to get them the right way around. But here is John MacArthur in modern Hebrew. Here is Sinclair Ferguson in modern Hebrew. Here's John Bunyan, the Holy War, in modern Hebrew. Here's C.S. Lewis in modern Hebrew. What impact might that have to the 30,000 Jewish believers in the land? Again, I've given you the stats before. In 1948, there were 12. Today, there's 30,000 brothers and sisters in Christ, Jewish, ethnic, Jewish, ethnic Israelis. And they believe in Jesus, surrounded by seven or eight million non-believing fellow countrymen and ethnic Jews. But we're disseminating this material. We're preaching this material. What an impact. See, see the immensity. And believe, by God's grace, that He is able to do this. I really should fix that hole in my garage it would complete the otherwise incomplete. But first, I need to take away the things that are covering the whole and see the unfinished. So, let's see the task unfinished. 
and see our debt, our duty, God's power, God's plan, and pray as we grasp some of the immensity of the inclusion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You again that the gospel of God is able, is able to take a sinner from the depth of his sin, bring light into his life, and empower to live for the glory of God. As we have seen this, even in our own experience and lives, as we have received mercy, so may we exhibit that. May we proclaim it by our lips, by our lives, to all we come in contact with. And so may we see your church advance among Jew and Greek. Build your church, Lord. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.